Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to Wine Times, brought to you in association with the Sunday Times Wine Club, with me, comedian and wine novice, Susie Ruffle. And me, Will Lyons, the Sunday Times Wine Columnist and Vice President of the Sunday Times Wine Club. Throughout this series, I have taken up the much-coveted role as apprentice of wine to try and become the master of all things grape-related. But you won't be on this journey alone, Susie. Oh no, every episode we'll be joined by a well-known guest for some good wine, good times and lively conversation. And don't forget, if you like the sound of any of the wines we have on the show, then fear not, because they're available through the Sunday Times Wine Club. If you haven't signed up yet, there'll be a link in the episode description for you. So, whether you're an expert with a broad palate... Or you think everything happens for a Riesling... In this show, you're sure to find something to your taste. We're here in the fabulous church-turned-boozy destination Amazing Grace in London Bridge, ready to bless the wine and have a good time. Discussing and decanting with Susie and myself today is the broadcaster and Michelin star chef, Marcus Waring. You will of course know Marcus from his many years on our TV screens, cooking up a storm in the kitchen and pouring scorn and dew over the contestants in the MasterChef Professionals Kitchen. As well as that, he's written multiple cookbooks and has a fabulous new show on BBC iPlayer exploring the wonders of the kitchen garden. Marcus has one of the finest palates in the country and has won multiple Michelin stars throughout his career. But... What will he make of Will's choices of wines today? Will it be sommelier or sommelier-nay? Do you like that joke, Will? I think it's quite good. Again. Okay, good. Anyway, <laughs> let's go on to what we really want to talk about, not my bad jokes. Hello, Marcus. Thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> Very nice to be here. Thank you. So before we begin, before we get you to pop some wine open, what's your, what's your sort of relationship to wine? I mean, we obviously know that you're you know, you've got a good relationship with food. What's your relationship with wine like? My relationship with wine is, is as strong as my relationship with food. Um, and I think that, that they really comes about through later on in life, in your career. You're, you spend your, you know, your early parts of your career focusing on the most important thing in your life, which is your food, mm-hmm. building your, your career, your sort of positioning in an industry. And you actually don't focus on wine. And then as time goes on, you start to sort of come out of the kitchen a little bit, go out and eat a bit more, go to mm-hmm. dinner parties. And then you start to see this whole new world um, right there in front of you. It was under your nose always, but you didn't really notice it because you felt that the food was more important than everything, including wine and waiters. Is there anything, Marcus, that you won't eat or drink? Uh, food-wise, no. I mean, I, I, I do tend to try 
you know, pretty much everything. But I'm not a, a chef that's travelled the globe yet. I'm very much ingrained in European cuisine. I love Europe as a, as a place. The food around our own country, that's what I sort of really do enjoy. From a drinking point of view, the big spirits I'm not a fan of. Mm-hmm. You know, if, I, if, if I'm in a Japanese restaurant, I, I won't touch sake. I, you know, I'm not a whiskey drinker. I can live without brandy, but I can cook with everything. Yeah. And that's why I can cook with all those flavors, but I just have not learned to enjoy the brilliant flavors of, of, of fortified wines. Um, it was like I, I was introduced to cheese once. I was in Paris and this amazing cheese board came up. We tried all these cheeses and they talked me through this journey of the cheeses. And it was that was where my love for cheese you know, was born. Yeah. It was always there. I just never really never noticed it. And I think wine was a little bit like that too. I love the expertise. I love the experts in their fields. Uh, and that's why I've come to your podcast because mm-hmm. I love sitting with experts uh, and being shown something new and, and trying some, hopefully, some nice wines yeah. that I see well, that's beside we... you there. So I'm, I'm a big believer that you need to understand the classic wines of Europe. This is a screw cap, actually. But today we're starting closer to home. And that, um, what you just did there, that process, I struggle with so much. The uh, screw top. As, as opposed to a cork. <laughs> just, just, yes. Yeah. I really do. You don't like it? Yeah. I just can't get my head around it. Yeah, I mean, it's... I know the I know reasons why, and I get it, but... But I'm with you, Marcus, that I love the theatre yes. of fine dining, mm-hmm. you know, but we, we, and you have the sommelier who comes to your table, and it slows everything down, doesn't yeah. it, and make you appreciate it more and think about it more, actually. I agree. Um, I think it also works in so many different ways now. The, the screw top works for your supermarket buying. It certainly works for restaurants that don't have sommeliers on board. Yeah. They don't know. You know, do you know, one of the best tricks <laughs> I play on a sommelier when I go to restaurants and they, they, they open the, the screw top and I taste the taste of wine and I say it's corked. <laughs> <laughs> and I do get a look of, is he right? <laughs> you know, this is interesting. Um, I do believe you can get a corked bottle of wine so, from a screw cap. Is a cork isn't the flavour of corked wine, the flavour of the cork, or is it the wine that's got that has gone bad? Yeah, due it, to the cork's <clears throat> mistake or something. So it's not the flavour of the cork; it's the the cork has been infected by something called TCA, which then imparts into the wine this really dank smelling. Mm. Yeah, and you you can spot it two ways. A, it smells a bit like, and this is quite an esoteric analogy. Uh, like a swimming pool that's been empty all winter, mm-hmm. that, that's sort of damp and smell. Mm-hmm. But also it deteriorates very quickly. So as soon as you pour it, after 10, 20 minutes, it gets worse and worse and worse. Where if it's another sort of fault, like it was oxidized or there's some, some, some slight sulfur, that can actually sort of fade away with time. Whereas corked wine will get worse and worse and worse. And the reason we have screw caps is because in the 80s, when we had this great New World wine boom, so Australia and New Zealand, were suddenly exporting loads of wine to England. Uh, the poor old cork farmers in Portugal uh, were sort of struggling to keep up. But it, back then, you had lots of corked wine in Australia and New Zealand. I think um, Robert Joseph, who was chairman of the International Wine Challenge, always talks about one in 12 bottles were corked. Now, could you imagine someone like Pepsi-Cola or Coca-Cola? If one of their cans was 40 in a million, yeah. they would never use that supplier again. Yeah. And yet, for the... the the wine world is, is quite slow in many ways and we've sort of put up with this, you know, because it's, it's, it's tragic if you're in, you know, your restaurant and I order a bottle of wine, many hundreds of pounds and it's corked. It's, it's, this is a financial implication. Isn't it is, it? Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, let me pour the first wine. Yes. So we've had a lot of English wine on this podcast and 
I would say we're in the sort of third phase of English wine. So the first phase was sort of the 70s and 80s when you had people like Bernard Theobald and um, Jim Dowling at Pilton Manor making these sort of sparkling wines. Then the late 90s came and we had a breakthrough where we imitated the, um, uh, the sparkling wine of Champagne. And, we, and we, uh, we, I think we now have about five or six world-class sparkling wine producers. The third phase is we're starting to explore and make still wine. Now, this is made down in Devon, uh, near Totnes, and the grape variety is Madeleine Angevin. It's made by um, Sharpham Estate. Mm. Let's have a taste. So, listeners, it's, it's sort of mid-gold colour, isn't it? Well, a deep yellow, would you say? It's really nice. That's what I'm bringing to the table. Mm. That's how much I understand it. <laughs> Mm. I think that is the first English wine I've tried. It's it? not. It's not sparkling. Yeah, I think it's very good. I really do. It's. It is. It would feel so much better if it had a cork inside it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell Duncan. It's made by Duncan as well. It just. But it's all. I, I, I'm a big believer that this. You know, I'm a lovely. I'm a big fan of rosé wines, and I think you you see rosé wines plentiful yes. on shelves in supermarkets. But for me, it's always, whenever I've had a, a fantastic rosé experience, whether I'm in the Alps skiing, whether I'm in, in, in East Sussex, or whether I'm at home, or whether wherever I am, it's the bottle, the feel of it, the look of it, the branding. Before you open it, I think is as important yes. as the wine itself. Oh, and some of them are designed, beautifully designed. Yeah. Uh, the labels or the magnums or the double magnums. You're happy before you even start yeah. it. I, I totally and agree. I think that is really important with, with, with wines. And that is why I struggle with this amazing glass of wine because of the screw top. I wonder what you think about wines in cans, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's not good. That's not, what our next wine is. Let's not ruin the afternoon. <laughs> you just mentioned your um, place in East Sussex. Could you tell us a bit about your new TV show? Yeah, sure. And um, how it, yeah, how it sort of came about. My wife and I were looking for a second place. Uh, our children go to school down in, in, in Tombridge and, and just further afield, my daughter. And I wanted a a place where we could stop off halfway or thereabouts. And rather than the kids spending a lot of time in the car traveling with us, going back and forth from schools, we'd find a place where we could go and hang out. And four and a half, five years ago, we found this place in East Sussex. Uh, it just happened to have a huge amount of land that was with it. So we got 65 acres of land, which was farm-based land. Yeah. Uh, and so there were cows and sheep on the land. And so the owner of the house said, well, we can sell you the property, you can buy a field, buy two fields, buy whatever you like. It, it's all up for dissecting. It was very accommodating like that. And I actually thought, I actually quite like the look of all of it. I never thought in a million years I was going to buy it, but I did because the guy that looked after it, Anatoly, he walked me around this kitchen garden and this orchard and the bees. And that's this whole new idea came to life that I'd never even looked for. I stumbled across it and we purchased the property and I suppose you could say the rest is sort of history. Mm. The idea came from that I wanted to become a better chef and I wanted to understand food from the soil up rather than the back door of my kitchen. Mm -hmm. So I've done everything in my life that I've ever wanted to do in cookery, but I've never really took any notice of the supply chain. I only ever picked up a telephone and spoke to my supplier. I never, ever as a chef went to see them. I saw it as wasted time. I saw it as time that I could spend in the kitchen. And so the supplier came to me. I never went to them. 
And this took me out of that comfort zone and thought, well, actually, the world's changed now. We've moved on. Mm -hmm. Chefs have moved on. And on social media, you have to be part of all the processes. And so I started to realize that I want to grow my own own produce. I want to cook for my own land, and I want to learn a lot more about it. And it was born from an idea or conversation, a Zoom meeting, believe it or not, (laughs) in lockdown with a a lovely uh, lady, Carla Maria, from the BBC. And the last 10 minutes of this one-and-a-half-hour meeting about ideas, she asked me about my small holding. And for that 10 minutes... I become energized and I became inspired by my own conversation. And I think she hooked onto that. And I yeah. suppose the story was born from there. It's brilliant. Great experience. I even looked at wanting to grow well, wine, I was thinking, wine yeah. on one of the one of the hills. We got so there's one of them, this is like a thirty-five acre field. And so it's on an angle, but the, the land is raised too high too and the winds <clears> are too <throat> cold. Yeah. And so Roebuck Estate, who yes. close to us, came and had a look. Um, but it was just too 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 much how, wind, how too cold. How high are you? I think if you go over a hundred, I think we are just over. Yeah. We're, 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 I feel like we're on a hill because we can see the the, the Kent the Kent yes. coast, Kent Valley, um, East Sussex, and so I don't feel like I'm on a hill, but I think we are. But yeah. we're high, too high for 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 the winds because they put a tester, yeah. put their machine in the field and, and, and measure the winds and measure the cold for a while. That's a big problem we have in in England. There are a lot of exposed sites, and it's yeah. it's, it's surprising how cold it gets actually oh, yes. of a morning. You know, think about four o'clock in the morning, cold. Can I ask one of my stupid questions? Yeah, of course you can. I always More. ask stupid questions. <laughs> but I think it's the best way to learn. Okay, yeah. Is there no way that we can... Can't you, like, I don't know, like, wrap them up or something? Like, is there no way you that can, someone has... but it's expensive. Right, okay. I mean, because surely someone can the, be like, the, I mean, put a jacket on them grapes <laughs> and they'll be all right. Of course, you put them under, in polytunnels, like, like you would tomatoes, but it's not really sort of romantic at all. But oh. you can build big windshields. Yeah. Um... But yeah, it's very expensive okay. for the yield you're going to get. Right. You know, the, the actual. Yeah. I, th- I think also that you have to be incredibly patient. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it needs to become. What I've noticed at, at the vineyards that I've seen, there's there's a real time, patience, love affair with something that is really about Mother Nature yeah. and mm. about expertise yeah. and growing. And it, it, it yeah. I think, oh, I'd love to do that. My God, I don't want to wait 10 years. <laughs> and, and it's two things. It's, it's growing the grapes and then making the wine. They're two sort of separate processes. Yeah, yeah. And it's a thousand small decisions that you have to get right every growing season, every year. Yeah. And you do need patience, actually. And you need a meticulous attention to detail, mm. I think. Have you found that with, you know, you're saying, you know, produce at the back door and now you're looking at it from the soil. Has it changed, you know, how you view, you know, putting together a dinner party? Or, you know, are you looking out of your garden window going, right, what's what's ready next week? I, think, I think a dinner party is about friends and I cook the food that I love to share. Right. And whenever, you know, our friends are over, it's very rare that I get anyone say no to a dinner party in my house. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> because I do like fine food and I do like fine wines. Um, and there's always a yes and if you can't come change the date because they want to come. So it's all that sort of things going on. But when I look out into a garden, uh, I see a whole new world of um, something that I've, I've sort of put on a back burner and, you know, never really focused a great deal on and feel slightly, not ashamed is the right word, but I feel incomplete in my education. And so it, even at my age, I think it's really important and on the TV show to be brave and bold to say, I'm not an expert in everything. And by the way, I do want to become a better chef. Growing, I can manage to get my head into and I can go and do that because I know it'll make me a better chef. When it comes to wines, 
I'm more than happy to sit and listen to the experts and enjoy the quality of someone else's work. And I don't think I'll probably ever make my wine, own my own wine, but I know there's wines in cellars from the last century sitting yeah. there waiting. There's wines of this century and, they're gonna, and it just carries on and carries on yeah. and it just gets better and better and better. And that's what I love about it. Yeah. So I'm not, I will not be sitting here one day hosting this show <laughs> and I will certainly will not become an expert <laughs> in wine. Drinking, yes. <laughs> listening to Wine Times, brought to you with the help of our friends at the Sunday Times Wine Club, your go-to experts for fantastic wine. And don't forget, if you like the sound of any of the wines we've been tasting in this episode, there'll be a link to them in the podcast description. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So we're leaving England mm-hmm. and we're traveling all the way down to the tip of the continent. We're going to South Africa mm-hmm. to a region of the cut. Wow, hear that? Great noise. That's more like it. <laughs> South Africa is interesting if you're on the wine route because A, it's, it's got a lineage in history that's as old as the Europeans. They, they, they were making the, what, you know, um, wine there in the 17th and 18th century. But also the soils are very old. And it, it, it crosses this boundary between the classic styles of Europe that restrained, elegant styles you find in France, Italy, Spain, and those primary bold flavours you get in sort of the New World or the Southern Hemisphere, like Australia and South America. And it's, it's such good value. That's um, got a hell of a nose to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is... And actually backs it up on the, on the palate too. A ubiquitous grape, but, but probably the easiest grape to grow, and a grape that is grown everywhere on the wine route. This is Chardonnay. A lot of people look down their noses. Mm. I love Chardonnays. <laughs> I love Chardonnays. I will never look down on a Chardonnay. No. I love the butteriness, the oakiness, the richness of it. And it's such a shame that it has this reputation because it is what we used to pompously call what, what, one of the noble grape varieties. But it is. <laughs> but it is but it, and, you know, the, the, the most expensive white wine in the world is a Chardonnay from a place in France called Burgundy. And how much is that? 
Well, it's Montrachet, so it goes for about, and um, don't quote me on this, but we will do. It's about £30,000 <laughs> a case now. But the prices, they are so high now. Over the last three years, they've gone even higher and higher and higher. Um, so, yeah, you can pay thousands of pounds for it. And they're worth shot. every penny. Yeah. <laughs> so we're in Hermanus. You know, um, flying to Cape Town, you drive about an hour and a half down to the Walker Bay there, so the South Atlantic Ocean, which means it's cool climate. So it's almost like a little bit of Burgundy in South Africa. So Burgundy is the home of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And I had this in a blind tasting for the club, and I was so impressed, like you, because it's, it's a wine that punches well above its weight, and it's not far off those great representations of, of, of Chardonnay. I mean, the, the, the really good ones. What would you pair it with, food-wise? I mean, you know, lobster thermidor, if we're talking retro, <laughs> with the more nasal. I think you can see with quite a lot of things, actually. Crab? Yeah. Crab would be lovely. I mean, seafood, absolutely. Yeah. I quite like the botteriness of this. I think it actually works delicious. And I think it's got a little edge of sharpness just in the background, a freshness, I should, I should say. Mm. This would sit very well with lots of different things. And that's why people love Chardonnay, because it's so versatile. It goes mm. with all sorts of things. But also... And if you're tasting it now, so there's a very famous uh, wine tater called um, Michael Schuster who talks about the aftertaste and how you can, one, two, three, you can, you can feel it going down your throat, that sort of scintillating acidity. And that's almost Chablis-esque. That's, it's a fine wine. This is a smart wine. Yeah. So that's um, Nishan Johnson, South End Chardonnay. How much are you thinking about the wine that you pair with your food? It's really interesting, though. It's a good question because I don't, I don't overthink. Sure. I go big on wine. I like to impress. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned earlier, as you get older, you change. Yeah. Your palate changes. Your th- your head. You think. Your body changes. Your whole way of life changes. And then you find yourself. It's like it's a really good example. I spent my whole life uh, when I was growing up eating a sirloin steak. And then I've got to spend my whole working life eating the fattiest meats I can get my teeth into um, and, and the, the ribeyes and the foreribs. Now as I've got older, I'm back to the sirloin because I can't stomach that fatty yeah. content anymore as a slightly older person. Yeah. And I think wine, you go, I, get, I believe you go through these phases. I totally agree. The first glass of wine I ever tasted was a blue nun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you laugh. You laugh. You Delicious. Laugh. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I absolutely do. Yeah. <laughs> so do you. Yeah. <laughs> um, going back to your question, it's about impressing. Mm. Uh, and I love to share wine with people that appreciate wine. Yeah. I will never, ever open anything amazingly delicious or expensive when the person I'm sharing it with couldn't care less. Because yeah. I think it's a waste. Yeah. And why not just have a and I'm a bit selfish like that sometimes. No, but I think that's fine. I respect what has gone into the wine, the process, the family, the aging, where it's come from. And I, and I don't understand when I've had many times in my life, in my career, where I've, my restaurants have sold some extraordinary wines. One particular occasion, many, many years ago, one of the biggest wine sales in restaurants because it was publicized and i don't think for one minute in fact i don't think i know for a fact that the people drinking the the 45 or 46 or whatever it was petrus that 1900 came didn't have a clue what they were drinking mm-hmm. they just bought it because it was expensive they were rich and blah 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 and it was it was exciting but sad at the same time because yeah. it wasn't enjoyed it was just drank but i totally agree with your palate changing as you get older i, I mean I, I started learning about wine in my 20s and I, and I did a lot of book learning 
And all the old writers would talk about acidity and how they loved German Riesling and all these wines, which are, are white wines, high in acidity. And I used to find them, well, I didn't enjoy them that. I used to, I used to like the big primary fruit because then my, I think my whole metabolism was different. And now I can totally understand what they were talking about. I love acidity. I love white wine. I love that sort of scintillating saline crispness you get. And I think as you get older and you're, uh, possibly your metabolism so sounds it. You know, it, it, it works in a, um, a completely different way. And it's, it's, it's almost like a pick-me-up as, 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 uh, as much as it is a sort of sensuous yeah, I think you need to keep that open mind. Um, yeah, I think always. I, I think I, I often think of food critics sometimes pre pre-social uh, media, you know, you could have a food critic of a youth of a certain age versus a food critic of quite oldness. Mm-hmm. And you're just thinking, well, you're, surely your palate, your thinking isn't quite the same as, as what it was when you were 20, 30 years ago. But yeah. you're, you're judging my creation that is youthful, it is of the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yet you're, you're in your 60s or 70s and you're judging me. And I don't believe that you are as sharp as you no. probably used to be. And I used to struggle sometimes with food critics that, were all different and different ages and respecting their view. But on the flip side of it, you'd also argue their view. Then social media comes into the equation and then everybody's got a view. Yeah. And that's the game changer. That's the game changer that will never never turn back. Mm. And so there's a lot of uh, people with influence have become sidelined on the basis that they're maybe not quite up to speed with the world that flicks through our phones 24 hours a day relentlessly. There's an expert around every corner now. And you mm. have to face, stay very, very sharp. So funny that you say that about the age of, of sort of critics as well, because it's, you know, my world is comedy. And so frequently you'd be like, oh, I'm being reviewed by a man in his 60s. Yeah. And I'm, you know, a woman in their mid-30s. Like, our life experiences are very different. And, like, you know, yeah. you sometimes get critics say things like, well, the whole audience were falling about laughing, but I didn't get it. And you're like, well, that's, that, you're, you're not meant to feel like, like you've got to appreciate yeah. what everybody, what, what's yeah. happening in the room. Yeah. I mean, I, it's I, such I, a shame when people, yeah. you know, are like, well, no, this is what I think. This is my standard. And it's like, well, no, in order to evolve, I don't, I guess in every area, you've got to be willing to sort of go different places and try different things with an open mind. Yeah, I good. think the difference between wine criticism and food criticism and possibly, uh, well, comedic criticism <laughs> is that I always think I'm the person that you hand the wine list to and say look here are the four great wines on that list and that's what I try and do in the column you know I'm, I'm the person that's sort of there saying these are the wines you've got to try mm-hmm. as opposed to saying this wine is absolutely faulty and bad and you shouldn't buy it and these are the reasons why because that's not helpful to anyone yeah rather than giving a critique <clears throat> you're sort of giving a suggestion yeah and and the great wine critics I think always have that enthusiasm about their writing and about the, you know, that they found this incredible wine. One question I want to ask is, why do I struggle with cloudy, organic, bio, biodynamic wines? What, what I can't well, you're not <laughs> get my head around it. You're not alone. I think it's so wrong in so many ways. Yeah. I, I get given it to me by sommeliers sometimes. And there's a couple of things I'll always get. If I go to a good Great restaurant. Don't bring me anything that's cloudy and I don't want to screw it up. And that's my yeah. old-fashioned arrogance. But if you can find something that you want to test me on, I'm happy to try. But that the, the cloudy wine, I just, it's wrong. Yeah. Why? So this is, this is Why? a sort of natural... I've tried wine. it. Yeah, yeah. It's and so enjoyed it. Well, I, I find they, they tend to have a flavour that's akin to bruised apple 
and almost like a cider. Mm, yeah. And as you said, they, they, they look cloudy. They're immensely popular mm. with a certain crowd. I mean, that in, here in London, we have the Raw Wine Festival. It's packed. It's absolutely packed. I don't know how, what the analogy would be because they are so different to a fine wine, aren't they? They don't have the layers of complexity. They don't have the aromatics, uh, the, you know. Um, you can get very, very good ones. Mm-hmm. What I find is that people talk them up a lot. And I just think, as you said earlier, you should take every wine on its merit. Mm. But it, it's, it, it's not wrong to say what, what, mm. what you said because they do taste. They have this distinctive taste, which, right. is, which is unlike uh, what we know. Um, wine to be. Yeah. But why, why is it cloudy? What, what makes it cloudy? Well, with, 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 without getting into the specifics of each one, they tend to not use preservatives and additives and sulfur. Uh, but also, in a challenging growing year, so when the weather's not great, sometimes you do need a little bit of help. Mm. Or they can be unfiltered as well. Yeah. Um, it's difficult to talk about it without one in front of us, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't explain it to you, but yeah. But they are hugely popular. And we will be having some later on in the series. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm willing to try it. You know me, but, <laughs> but no, one you're in front of me. Right. I suppose, what, what would the, 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 the sort of food equivalent be? Really, really I had a, I had a chef once work for me who felt that the ingredients should speak for themselves and that Mother Nature's done their job and there's no need for sweet, sour seasoning. Let the, let the ingredient do its thing. But if you look at where some of our ingredients come from and the way they've been grown... They haven't been grown by Mother Nature. They've been grown in a polytunnel. Mm. They've been yeah. fed. And so they're not as natural as one would like. We all know full well if you, we all cross the road and go to the to the market and go and buy some tomatoes and eat them. They taste nice. Mm-hmm. But you go fly off to the south of France or Italy and go and eat a tomato that's sitting in a box under the sun that's been picked under the sun. It's been grown under the sun mm-hmm. and it's still in the sun. It's a completely different flavor. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. It, 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 is, it is taking ingredients and serving them in their natural state. That is the equivalent, in my opinion. And one of the biggest problems I found was that quite a lot of food would come back into the kitchen because people will, will it's like taking sugar out of a dessert. Yes. Sort of goes against the grain of why you want a dessert. The sugar yeah. is that hit. It is, it is that squeeze of lemon on your fish. It is that little point, the little point of seasoning. It is... Everything needs an element of elevation unless it is naturally perfect and there is no such thing as perfect because if perfection is in the eye of the beholder it is only something or someone sees something like a painting it is perfect but i wonder whether the artist thought it was perfect Mm. at any stage of the last three four five six hundred years of art well should we move on yes i'm I'm, our last wine as we're talking about what we drank in our youth it's having a bit of a is it a bacardi breezer well (laughs) We're heading down to a region that's really come back and having a bit of a purple patch. We're going to Beaujolais. So it's a 2020 Premier Bon Rouge Beaujolais Village. This is just sort of light, fruity. We're thinking notes of strawberry, red fruit, and above all, it's just digestible and easy to drink. Again, you could serve this at the end of a meal. I was in Le Poulet Pot with Stephen Spire, the late Stephen Spire, and some Americans, and it was a very hot summer's night. Uh, in Pimlico, and, and we were saying, what, what should we have next? And he goes, you know what I think we should have? It's just a cool glass of Beaujolais. And actually, I think this ought to be served a little bit. I think a little bit that's a nice touch. I think it's an unusual touch. It's different. And I yeah. think it, when you have that type of experience where you're, what should we have next? Let's try this. Yeah. Do something different. It just makes the whole thing just 
a completely different experience. It elevates it, Yeah, it does. It? it does a little bit. And I think that served in the right class, outside, a bit of sunshine, like slightly chilled. Yeah, I get that. I think, I think that's a nice touch. Well, because I don't know what you f- how you feel about people describing wines in terms of fruit flavours. Because there's a lot of... It can put people off and be intimidating. And in, 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 unless you really know what I'm talking... You know, unless you've really... It, it is intimidating for, for guests. It's intimidating for people, I think, because it, it, it's a hard thing to f- identify a flavour on the nose mm. when it's not necessarily your chosen profession and it, yeah. it is it is a it's a skill it's like it's like cooking it's like it's like anything we all do so when i go whenever i go to a, a shop or a, a food store or it, i don't go to supermarkets often i look at the choice and i'm just thinking i'm struggling here yeah, yeah. how does how does everyone else manage yeah. what, what do people choose mm. how do they choose and i often question how people choose their wines when they're in you know a, a, a mm an off-license or, or a supermarket because is it just price or is it familiarity is it they've listened to your podcast have they read something in a newspaper have they watched a tv show where it's been something's been some, discussed i think some people do but i i mean it's quite weird i spend time just standing in Sainsbury's watching people and i think a lot of he's it, here again we're gonna have to ask him to leave i'm sorry someone go over to him Can we please this man from the store <laughs> but, but, but it's he's opened a bottle <laughs> it's where your eyes fall isn't it so you yeah. know we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're, where their stacks is important, and it's consistency. People know what they like. They like. I think that's the success of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Is yeah. Every year, it produces the same wine. You know what it's going to be. It's going to have these wonderful sort of gooseberry aromatics. It's going to be refreshing and light, and they go for that. So, what was your favourite wine today? I'm going to go for this one first. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it has a screen. No, the second. The second. second. Okay, fine, fine, fine. The Chardonnay. Gordon, yeah, made by Gordon Newton Johnson. I keep keep going back to it. Yeah. And I I think because you're a lover of the classic wines of of Europe, of fine wine, South Africa is a wonderful place to explore Mm. because I'm always looking for value. They are unbelievable value in terms of if you you put them up against their counterparts Mm -hmm. in California and France, they are just. Working. For, for the price, it's. It, I hear that a lot about South African yeah. wines, that they are the wines of choice, but also they've got they carry, you know, great value. The good, the well priced, but also they give you they they sort of over deliver, don't they? They give you mm. more than your expectations, and I find that quite unusual. I don't know why that is. About they've got South very African old wines. soil there. They've got per, you know a lovely climate, what we call terroir, great climate. Um, but I always make the point they've got a, a new generation of ambitious and competitive winemakers. And that's the thing. You might probably see it in the chef world. They are competing against each other every year, trying to dial the notch up better and better and better. And it's a small world. Well, that was brilliant. Yeah, well, thank I'm you. So, I've thank you so much. My pleasure. For, You've been a very, yeah. yeah. for chatting to us. Not at all. Well, cheers. Great. Thank you. Indeed, yeah, cheers. Good help. <laughs> That's it from us today. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Wine Times in association with the Sunday Times Wine Club, produced by Ben Mitchell. You can follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. Just do this via your normal podcast provider. And we'll be back next week with more delicious wine and a fabulous guest. And remember that all of the wines we tasted today are available from the Sunday Times Wine Club website. But from all of us here at Amazing Grace, thank you very much for listening and we hope to see you next week for more Wine Times.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 